0: Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo.
1: Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. I'm your host, Phil Llewellyn. A big welcome to Season 6, where we continue to explore coaching, learning and development. As usual, my guests are going to present their key learnings for a piece of content of their choosing, and we then discuss its application. I'll now hand over to them to introduce themselves.
0: So I'm Tom Shuttleworth, a uh, business owner and head coach of Rhino Sports Club, where we operate within East Sussex using um elite coaching methodologies to help children between two to 18 plus improve in their development of adolescence through fun creative games um, and that's me
2: thanks phil thanks phil. so my name is peter thomas uh, i've been coaching hockey for about 25 years i think started my dad's uh, holiday camps school camps in summer holidays um, I run an organisation called Happy Hockey, which is looks at predominantly taking hockey into state primary schools, um, and I coach down at uh, Lewis Hockey Club at the moment.
3: My name is Neil Plimmer. Um, thank you, Phil, for inviting me and the guys onto this podcast. Always love to have a chat and a ramble. Um, my company is called Jolf um, Junior Golf, and we deliver. Um, first experiences, meaningful positive experiences for children of golf in primary schools. Um, those children that have that experience in primary schools, then them and their family have the opportunity to join our golf club um, a virtual environment with which then we point the children and the families to family-friendly facilities to play more golf. Very much keen to see children and families play golf um i've been doing this for over 10 years now so i've been focused on children children's experiences in golf and we've delivered at golf clubs after school clubs breakfast clubs camps so i've got a sort of wide variety of coaching delivering experiences in lots of different places with lots of different people in lots of different ways so looking forward to seeing what this conversation brings up today
1: Gents, thank you very much. Absolute pleasure to have all three of you on. Um, as Neil said, yeah, really looking forward to this. And a real variety and, and a bonus is it's non-rugby. So we can we can definitely stay kind of stay clear of the rugby chat. But um, Neil, I actually think you came in and delivered a session at Gloucester Uni when I was an undergrad, a mature student, loose term as an undergrad um, with Don and the guys in probably like 2011, 2012. So yeah, quite a while ago. But that was, um, yeah, stuck in the memory. It was a good session, so. We I
3: remember I was going back through your profile and I thought this name rings a bell and whether we'd spoken Gloucester unit quite a funny story we turned up for that training and we went to the wrong campus which was about 40 minutes away so there we were plenty of time having some breakfast just chilling out checked in we were at the wrong campus and then we had a drive from I think Cheltenham to Gloucester
1: you wouldn't be the first person that's done that but uh, it, it, yeah i don't remember it made any effect on the session so you've done well um, <laughs> love it just before we get cracking uh, just remind to the listeners all the information the guys share will be in the blurb uh, on rugby coach weekly so please do check that out cool tom we are going to come to you first what is it you're going to chat to us about
0: um i'm going to talk about challenging Um, oneself, myself into different environments or cultures or ways of thinking to help improve um, my understanding in terms of development and how to support players um, in that kind of environment. Um, First of all, just want to chat in terms of like what kind of environments and cultures I talk about. I talk about stuff, which is like uh, stuff It's probably the wrong kind of choice of words, but environments being something I'm not familiar with, which tests my thinking, behavior, um, emotion and feelings to act in a way where it's almost impulsive, which allows me to learn more. Um, for example, let's say, um martial arts for example getting involved in that as a player or as someone who's observing um something along the terms of buddhism um golf um just things which are not associated with my life at all And what I find really useful in these situations is that I start to understand new ways of thinking through um, different environments of talking, behaving between one another in in that certain culture. Um, You know, a culture is also something which elite sports use to create their environment within their framework, such as, I don't know. Um, London Irish, they have a culture there. And I think that's really important to help understand the parameters of the belief system. Because within the belief system, there's areas where you have to continue to focus on that end goal, even if you are losing every game, let's just speak in premiership titles, like Bath, for example, not doing particularly well within winning, but they have this belief system or culture they have to keep to, to otherwise stay on track to like not be renegated. So I put myself in that situation um, and to help me challenge myself and one is that thinking changing my perception of a situation, which I've created in coaching, for example, or a skill related scenario um, by viewing a child or an adult's um, behavior in that scenario. So like late, late decision thinking, you know, how good are they at processing information intuitively and instinctively you know how do we fix that do we make it slower do we make it uh, larger in terms of the game so that really helps with that side of things but then whilst you know going into these new cultures and new environments um i discovered self-awareness and self-awareness is just something which young players don't have, or even adults don't have in terms of understanding self, themselves. And what self actually means is that it's a, um, self is a person seen as an object through its own reflective consciousness. So it's understanding consciousness, which is something sport or children do not understand or young athletes or young men or even adults. So, being aware of your behavior through self consciousness as, as you as an object should be able to um, teach you to be better in terms of behavior, reasons why you do things, um, physical development, mental development. And that's what I kind of want to dive into in terms of how to coach that, how to miss how to navigate through all that um and obviously within those (laughs) areas of self it's a minefield it's an absolute minefield there's you know mental and psychological understanding there is body physical understanding there is heart which is emotional standing and there's the spirit which is spiritual essence of oneself, right? This is all self, one person. And within that, there's 27 emotions and feelings. And within that, there are seven universal emotions which trigger all of those emotions and feelings, right? So have to deal with an individual, a child, adult, you have to still be aware of those barriers or um, hurdles in terms of your teaching and understanding of your players. And what is so beneficial of understanding self is the character defects it has in your way of um, pursuing or going out in life. For example, uh, entitlement, right? Um Self-esteem is a big one. Expectations is a massive one. Uh, Child-adult is huge as well, Um, and we want to look at self, all the self stuff as well. Self-centered, self-pity, selfishness, self-seeking, as well as you know, habits have been cemented into your life, and you don't really know how to change that. but what I'm getting to is the fact that humans or ch- children or adults are not aware of that, right? Self-awareness. So what I like to do, like I said, throw myself into these situations where I'm not used to. So I'm able to observe, analyze and critique my own perception of that sport or uh, that new experience with martial art or golf or cricket or swimming whatever it to be to get another a better understanding of coaching or analyzing and where that gets me today is that I'm allowed I can break down um human behavior and team behavior extremely efficiently because of understanding of self and feelings um and the you know, it's a it's a deep, it's a deep deep hole we dive, dive diving in here. So I'm gonna try and bring it out in a nice finish, finished crescendo. Um, but within life, there is only significant complex experiences, which is relatively towards our journey of where we would like to go and our goals, and navigating through that is extremely troublesome, being a good experience or bad experience, right? For us coaches, we want to be creating the best experience, the most present experience to take us away from all those emotions and feelings and bring us back into present moment, not the future, not the past, the present. That in itself within sport and coaching is you know, beyond changing or beyond helpful in terms of the child's improvement or the adult's improvement, and this is when you obviously dive into skill set, decision making, um, understanding. You know the key components of your sport, um, and you know putting to ta- putting onto the table what you know you're trying to achieve in that session, being scrummaging, line out. You know, technical technical aspects of the golf swing, um, placement of the foot, um, you know, how to throw a punch, you know, whatever the aim is for your spin, that's what you'll be looking for. But you have all that knowledge of self to help your player get through those confusing um, areas of development, what's it called, the learning the learning dip or the learning curve where you go into a hole and you, you try and get out of this hole and it's difficult to get out because you haven't been there before and it creates confusion and then you have to figure it out. Like, do I use a ladder to get out of this hole? Should I use my teammate to, to get up? And that's kind of what we're trying to speed up the process in terms of self. Um, and it's been working really well within my setup and, and it's just something I don't think a lot of people talk about, um in school or within parents or coaching so it's just something really important to me and it's working wonders um and i'm very I'm very happy about it, to share it with you guys
1: Thanks, Tom. Uh, really interesting. And and if you've listened, or, or certainly anyone that is listening will know that I kind of bang on about this stuff quite quite regularly. So um, definitely, a, definitely a kindred spirit in that sense. Um, I, I'm really interested in terms of, and I'll, I'll open this up to, to all three of you as a question, how how do you guys go about teaching or coaching or developing self-awareness in players? Because I think, Tom, you touched on it really nicely there. Like, Obviously, coaches have a role in terms of tech tac and kind of those those elements of delivery but actually what what does this look like for you guys in in working with young people or adults that, that maybe aren't self-aware or that you are trying to grow that like do you guys have a process for that is it just about embedding that subtly and, and implicitly within the things that you do deliver and your questioning and you know your kind of homework tasks or whatever it might be so kind of open question to, to all three of you how how do you go about doing this with with young people with with adults?
0: So, with my experience in terms of that knowledge, if the, the situation like presents itself, sometimes with the child who's you know doesn't doesn't think the session's fair, angry, uh, frustrated and you know, salt, right? So there's there's a method of teaching there. That's self awareness, right? You've got to teach the child like reason why you're acting like this is because. I'm helping the other team and you find it fair, or, you know, I'm 31 of age and I'm playing against a five year old. That's not fair. You're cheating. I have to teach him. That's okay because it's two of you versus three of us. For you to be tying with us shows that you're already better than you already are, but I'm challenging your ability and that's frustrating you because you're not getting what you want. So there's loads of lessons in that. And you just have to carefully, um, just explain like this undertone of understanding for him to be able to move forwards with it. Um, and that's kind of what we look for. We always try and look for that character lesson. And when it presents itself, then it's a good way of teaching basically life and you can't find that in classrooms teaching math or English. That is only in sport.
3: I, I, I think I come from a position, maybe I don't. It's a philosophical position where I believe that you know children are born brilliant, and um, I do wonder whether a lot of the, you know, that authenticness that you're talking about is actually innate for a lot of children. who have done quite a lot of stuff preschool wise and um, through the lens of golf. And I do wonder whether society and whether adults and also I'd I'd probably say coaching in general takes children away from that innateness, that ability to play, that ability to explore, that ability to discover. And I I do wonder, and I've questioned this (laughs) regularly over the course of the last 18 months to two years, whether as coaching has possibly become, if you like, more professionalised and more structured, that we don't see children for what they are innately brilliant take for example i don't know we we start the ball i'll talk golf for a second we start the ball on a spot and we want to hit the ball to a hoop that a simple task a simple task of can you send the ball in a in a in a a direction you know uh, it might be described as hit that with this over there very simple now for me as a coach or an adult watching that might have some more experience and might be more aware of self as you described Tom. Um, I'm just keen to see what they do, what they've got, and to see where they start rather than looking for any coaching, teaching, any behavior change, any learning to occur. Because I think as a where I've come to with what we deliver, I want to see children play independently. I want to see them enjoy playing with enjoy playing with them on their own and with others and I want to see them learn as they play. And it's those three facets, play independently, enjoy playing and playing with others and learn as they play, which for me structures a lot of what we do and how we do it. Um, And I think because of that, I now feel myself can be more authentic with what we deliver because I'm not trying to impose my way, a way, the way onto children. And I think that's something with which the more that coaching has become, I'll say professionalised, if we like, and structured and, you know, academies and all of these things and lots of agenda, I think we don't then start seeing children for what they are, which is, you know, born brilliant. And sometimes I think we need to do a better job of probably keeping out of their way.
2: Yeah, so I, I, there's a couple of things that sort have of struck me um, about what Tom and you have just said. I think it, it, there's one thing... It, it certainly depends on the environment that you're in. So um, then if we're talking about introducing a sport into, say, primary school, rather than sort of children that have all, or people that have already decided that that's something that they want to do, then it, I think the element of getting them to be self-aware is an interesting one if we're trying to teach them a new skill. As Neil said, it's, is there an element of just letting them be with what they're doing? Um, But but then equally, if we're dealing with players in an environment where they're already doing something that they've chosen to do, actually asking them, because if we are coaches and we're there to support them and and help them on the way to what they want to do, then a lot of it for me is dictated to what, what they say. We're not teachers in that sense. We're not telling them new information. We're trying to help them get out of themselves stuff that they already know that perhaps they just don't, um, either realise they know, or you know you're always back to well you're at the jihari window of things they don't know, they do know, they're not sure they know, or they don't know that they don't know. And it's so there's an element for me there as well of what environment you're in. Um, but I also wonder the idea of self-awareness and self is, is great, but actually if we're looking for the ultimate, and it goes back to what Neil's point was at the start, I think as well of If we are making them really self-aware, actually, we want them to go beyond themselves, beyond self, because at that point, they are just just being in the moment. Otherwise, if you focus too much on the identity, I think you can end up bringing yourself, you create more problems potentially than you do create solutions because actually you're focusing too much on the self and you are part of a wider system where you just want to be. Um, I mean, Eckhart Tolle is great on stuff like that, but that was something
1: else that made me, that, that struck me do you think we can search for that or just try and create moments where we hope that happens? And and I, what I mean by that, I guess we I listened a little bit towards kind of flow or just immersive in the mm. in experience. Right. So how I find anytime I've gone looking for that, it, by definition, it's almost what well, it is impossible to find because I'm looking for it. Right. So do, do you think it's just about us trying to understand the people we work with as best as possible to create an environment, which is as supportive and safe and engaging and all of those other kind of, you know, um, I was going to say buzzwords. That's probably not fair. They are important, but, but we, we try and label them as coaches. Like we're really bad for this with coaching science, aren't we? in pedagogy and we have to have labels on all of this type of stuff rather than just going, let's create an experience. And as you say, just let people engage with that. So do you think there's a danger that we are we then try and search for this or do, how do you go about just creating that to allow people to become immersed in it
2: yeah I, I suppose there is I mean there's always risks aren't there to to taking any approach because you can end up losing the balance of what you're trying to create because you're not necessarily going trying to go extreme down one way it's about having that as a multi, one factor of a multi-factored system uh, often an integrated system as well where it's not just everything's iterative or Aligned to each other it's if you do something on one factor it will impact others um so yes um and i also i think there's a a point about if you go searching for something to try and find that particular way well actually, i read a book it was um about chinese ta- the idea of tau which means way and that actually if you go after a particular way and you start using that as a way or the way it suddenly becomes not the way because you're you're not you're not just being in that moment. So yes, it's it, it's it is itself a a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because if you find something in particular, that you start to go after. Um, it it almost becomes more the closer you are, the further away from it you get. There are lots of mathematical and chemical chemistry sort of theories that that sort of that use that, including Heisenberg's principle. I think from my memory of degree.
1: I love it, Neil. You look like you were going to jump in.
3: I was just no, I wasn't. But I was just pondering then what. <laughs> was saying because we had a conversation quite a bit ago and i think it influenced probably both of us whereby we talked about that sort of stripped back version of pete was hockey and for me was golf you know strip it back strip it back strip it back and what have you got and probably coming back to your first point tom where you talked about challenge yourself in challenging yourself in different environments and cultures Um, One of the biggest challenges I had was going into a a specialist school where we had children in wheelchairs. And so we were asked to deliver golf in the classrooms. And one of the things that we did, you know, we had the long clubs. We had the clubs on top of um, stands for them to to hit the ball. And we'd also got a number of times where we'd send the ball down the ramp. So teachers were, you know, sort of happy enough. But they sort of said to us, you know, every child in a wheelchair has that game where it's send the ball down with a ramp football, some sort of ball, some sort of object down a ramp. And, you know, with golf, we wanted to get that hand onto an, an implement and send the object with an implement. And so it, we had to sort of think of it in such a way that it was stripped back, stripped back, stripped back. And I thought I'd done quite a good job of stripping golf back to its simplest form, i.e. hit that with this over there or hit this that with this over there but that challenged me to then think right I've now got these children who cognitively um, were able to appreciate and understand what was expected of them also understood what success was but from a physical perspective we had to adapt and change Um, and that then meant we had to strip it back further because we had a club that was a, a push club and we would be hand on hand with the child which we wanted to do to start with because that's what was required and then over a period of time, we wanted to move our hand away to allow them to do it. And it, The moments we had where children would have club on hand for 30, 40 seconds and minutes, and then you could see things happening. And then there was that sort of movement to hit it. And over a period of weeks and time, there was control and there was understanding and they'd send it. And so the challenge of golf being... You hit it in a certain direction, a certain distance, and a certain height. Height wasn't in it, but we were getting there because we had to strip it back, strip it back, strip it back. So, coming back to that first thing that you said about challenging yourself, different environments, different cultures, you know, lots of different places with lots of different people in lots of different ways. And that was a real moment for me where, and something I know we spoke about it, Pete, haven't we? About stripping it back and what have you got left? Any sport, any activity, any task. What do you have left? So Such so. And I always work on going back to that class at that school and say, could I do it with them?
1: And what would it look like? Tom, are you going yeah, mean, to Oh, go
2: on, go on, Peter. No, I was just going to add in, because I was, again, going back to one of the things that Tom said. So I got three things out of his sort of belief system, the idea of self-awareness, being present, and the sporting components. I think one of the other challenges we all face in our sports is perhaps unlike, well, it probably isn't actually like sort of necessary stuff we we do at school it's just that we get taught particular ways but even when you strip it back whatever you strip it back to be actually isn't necessarily how everyone else strips it back to be and there's also that added element of well even if you 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 settle on something that you like that that won't necessarily be even however how it fits everybody else so there's also got to be an element of self-awareness of that that your models may not always fit what other people are doing Uh, I just wonder how Tom sort of deals with that
0: I just, the way I coach is chaotic. I like chaos because kids, there's not just, it's just chaos, right? So they just kind of do whatever they think they need to do in that moment, right? There's no structure until there needs to be structure. So, like, you play a game with, rugby game with 20 uh, children on each side plus two balls and see what happens... Um, and if it crosses over, if there's any sort of areas you can pick up from where they're doing, you know, good sort of like team play, um, rugby, which they don't realize they're doing, then you can go in, work on that. And then if there's areas in there, which is not following from that game into the, skill session then you strip it back to whatever you think you need to focus on you know it could be just like ego behavioral or just skill um, or physical and then that's just it just goes back to those main areas isn't it it's technical tactical physical and understanding um but all those seem <laughs> to develop nice and slowly in a period of time if you just keep at those keep out those areas of focus. That's what I I do with the stripping back, but I just thought, you know, like you were discussing how, I don't know who said it, but someone said like, of course the model is to allow the child to play and you just add in sound bites within their um, playing time within their players, right? And if they don't pick up on it and you don't see them listening or doing it, then you go into a drill. So and that and that kind of like brings into the same element of, you know, going from that to self-awareness. Right. You've pinpoint those areas where the child might not know or the adult might not know how to navigate that. You come in for the soundbite, praise, you know, interest, and then you go back out.
1: I'm. I'm gonna. I, I, we could carry on talking about this for like the full the full whack. So uh, I'm really conscious of time, and that there's three of you to to kind of get through some bits. So um, I, yeah, Dom, I think you raised some really good points, and I think there's a lot to, to kind of think about. But I think we'll we'll kind of just pause that one there for now, and it may come back up in in some of the other pieces. But um, no, appreciate that, uh, Peter. We are going to jump across to you. What is it you're going to chat to us about? Thanks. Phil. I mean, interestingly, I've going. I was going to talk about the.
2: The CPCAB model of counseling and how I think there's an element well, there's quite a lot we can learn from the, the model that they use in terms of our coaching. Um, interesting, very really aligned actually very much to what Tom was talking about with self-awareness. Um, so the CPCAB is a, so it's the counseling and psychotherapy central awarding body. It's the it's the body that awards the qualifications from a particular type of counseling, it's generally person-centered, so it follows the Carl Rogers theory. Um, It looks at, so it has a three by three by seven model. So it looks at thoughts and feelings, uh, relationships and progress in life. And it looks at three levels of mental issues, uh, or more mental health issues. One is sort of day to day. The second one is what they call um, Uh, low impact I think uh, psychological issues so it's sort of depression anxiety and the third one is more complex such as schizophrenia uh, and other major disorders but it's the seven-step counselling process that I I find really interesting Um, I I chose to do the counselling course because I've got to put in my own coaching development where I've done my level three and I wasn't sure what to do next. and a bit like how Tom has actually alluded to quite a lot I started to realise there were other elements of hockey beyond just the stick and the ball um, and I chose this alongside during lockdown, actually, the element of, of sort of mental health, rather than I wanted to do something specific that wasn't just a more of a token course, it was actually going somewhere. And if, if I follow the route all the way in another three years, I'll be a fully qualified counsellor. But the thing that it really does, it's changed in me in the last what 12, 13 months that I've been doing the course, is how much of what the counselling model talks about in terms of the relationship and the ethics behind the counseling interventions that they use and that actually only the interventions are only one seventh of that model that you've got the ethics are there as, as number one but then two is the relationship between the counselor and the client three is the differences between the client and the counselor four is focusing on the client's needs. Five is recognizing the counselor in the environment. And then six is the actual uh, counseling treatment factors. So whether that's using CBT to change the thought processes, whether it's getting people to think, talk about their feelings and emotions, which is more sort of person-centered, um, or whether it's even sort of Freud and his ego, superego ID. And then seven is just the reflective practice of how you as a counselor sort of improve your general practice. But it given that we don't have a regulatory body for coaching at the moment, albeit from I hear from sort of down the grapevine, it might be something that they're going to start to bring in, especially with the government, with everything that's happened recently in cricket, um, sort of football, et cetera. It's just it it's become quite a a big learning for me in terms of actually how I how I coach and actually the awareness and importance of not just um, some of the aspects of listening and actually really uh, being aware of myself but also how much and how important it is for me that we as coaches are not teachers we're not so much there to, to lead and tell the way albeit we will provide tasks as Neil's pointed out perhaps with um, sessions but actually the journey is very much that of you know, the counselling thing it's it, the person is called the client but the player in a coaching environment and how little of it is actually about how much we in, intervene. Um, in fact, there's, uh, and Neil might be able to prompt me on this, but there's a, a coaching idea of just how ability minus intervention equal p- potential minus intervention equals performance. And actually there's an element, actually we perhaps overthink and over-professionalise coaching too much. We will lose some of that ability for players just to play and be self-aware and be present in the moment. But it's a lot of it's all come from this counselling idea of how important it is, that relationship and stepping back from the environment and just being there as a
1: support and a guide along the way. I, I love all of that. and I, I, my, The first question that springs to mind is how, how do we go about changing, changing that? Um, because there's... And I do think we've probably come a long, long, long way in in a, mm. in a short space of time, kind of last maybe 10, 15 years. There's there's certainly been some big drivers to change coaching behaviors, to make sure that people are understanding that it's, you know, we're not, we're not kind of console coaches, we're not doing joystick thing from, from the sideline. It is about the individual within within the environment which we coach, but I still see and I don't know. I've always had this theory that we 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 definitely know we learn to coach from the people that coach us. So there's a generational thing that will come through. You would hope all of the, the young people that are being coached well now become really, really great coaches in, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years whenever they get to coaching. But actually the the kind of the media element of TV and movies and this type of thing where because it, it just sounds like I was watching one on Netflix the other night and it was, it was a really just stupid film, but it, it was very much the coach was. He got um, suspended from, from, from professional American football and then coaches his kids' team and he's still doing all this. Here's the massive playbook. Go for a lap. This is how we win. You, you're having fun, but you're not having fun if you're not winning. And I just, I just wonder, how do we cut through all of that and actually get to a point where people are just going... We're winning if we have brilliant relationships and if and if people have a lifelong interest in physical activity and sport and not just our sport but any sport Do you know what i mean all all of the actual things that we all probably know are the at the heart of the process so um yeah a small problem for you to solve there and then we can package yeah. it and make lots of money so if you can if you can answer yeah. that one i'll be super impressed
2: so.
3: how long have i got
2: minutes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no no <laughs> I suppose the, the answer is that time. Well, we've certainly got to be patient in terms of how we do it. Um, but I, I think the, there's certainly an element of, of realisation of, of people involved in sport, certainly to separate out what we see in the media from what we do, because, of course, most of what happens in the media is professional, i.e. they actually do it full time and get paid for it. Uh, that their primary focus is winning because that's what elite sport performance is about. And that's, and that's who we're looking at. Whereas the vast majority of what, especially grassroots, lower level coaching is about, is not about winning matches. It's about winning in other ways, as you say. So, um, education and communication, but I think it would certainly help to a degree to have more awareness practice, either from the project or given or allowed from or created from the media about what the difference is. Um, but I also think it, it, as you say, it's going to take time because we've gone from the sort of the Kez style, you know, football coach, PE teacher, et cetera, to a complete shift or change along the spectrum. So it's going to take years and, and understanding and also the, the the different motivations. So I do uh, Put me on the spot for and i don't really i'm not sure actually uh, apart from just continuing what we're doing but there must be other
3: things just following on from all of the discussion really around how do we maybe create that behavioral change and cultural change and there's a couple of questions that i've just wrote down and maybe constantly the adults asking us what our role and responsibility is so if we're talking about children's activity or even beginner beginner adult activity but that grassroots level you know what is our role and responsibility of the adult um, because I think when I, I've stopped trying to differentiate between parent and coach because you know all adults come to an ex, um, a, a session with their child with some pre-experience and you know I've been to a number of sessions with my children where I might not be a coach of that particular sport but I'd probably say I've got more coaching understanding than the coach that's delivering the actual sport for a number of reasons. And I don't think sometimes the coaches probably respect that the parents within the room or within the environment might have that experience because they're teachers, they coach other sports, whatever. So I wonder whether the role and responsibility of the adult needs to be very both clear and developing the self-awareness and questioning people's morals values of ethics of why they're doing it, which then brings me to a second point, which is what does the experience that we're delivering need to look like, sound like and feel like? Because I do wonder, again, relative to children's sports, whether it's as adults are trying to make it look like and sound like and feel like a scaled down version of the adult game. When actually, you know, coming back to my example of golf in this specialist school, it looked nothing like what golf would look like on the telly. But it had all of the cues, i.e. it had a start point, it had a finish point. We knew that the challenge was to send the ball in a certain direction. So, again, I talk about that scaled back version and it also had some decision making. It also had some thought behind it, but it looked nothing like it. Now, I, knew, I also knew and I spoke extensively to the teachers that let's say that child progressed and progressed and progressed there is a progression route for them to play golf that would look like on the TV because we could scale it up, change it, scale it up, change it. So, you know, if we let's talk about coaching qualifications. If coaching qualifications were more about defining the role and responsibility of an adult within a certain environment and experience and then looking at what that experience needs to look like, sound like and feel like for each of the participants and the age and stage of them, Maybe that would be a better start point than saying, this is how you hold a golf club, throw a rugby ball, hold a tennis racket, hold a hockey stick and and such like. Not that I'm criticising coaching courses, because that's probably for another day. Um, But that's maybe where you start to create that behaviour change within, let's say it's adults, within a children's sport environment. Yeah, and I think
2: what Neil just said has made me also, or reminded me about how much of it, is comes back to asking the players what they want because if we are coaches rather than actually teachers and and it's about what they want whether it's trying to put the ball in the the goal or the hole or or score the try or it's actually just to be there with their mates if we don't ask then we're not going to know what environment or what task or what things that we're going to ask them to be doing because we actually haven't engaged them in the process to begin with so um I think it's a really interesting one because once you start actually asking yourself what your role and responsibility is, all those other questions about the environment, the awareness, what other people want and how you interact with them, become just come to you much, I think, more easily. Whereas if you go in with this, I'm the coach, I'm leading, this is what we're going to do, you actually probably don't get to those questions. So it comes back to, I think, as both Neil and Tom have alluded to, is the idea of really leadership and the people involved, because the ones we look up to and the ones we listen to, they have an impact on us. If the wider governing bodies and qualifications did more of that, then and I think actually to a degree, they're actually pretty good at it. It's just I'm not sure how much that percolates out from the higher levels down at the moment, because, of course, their environment is very different to ours.
1: Do you think that's the crux of it it's about how we sell that to parents of kids that turn up on a on a Saturday Sunday morning do you think it's the the nature of this is the way it's always been done you know kids kids sport has traditionally had leagues and it's had cups and it's had this so suddenly we get to a point where people are saying you know RFU is a good example every kid has to play equal game time I, I mean I think that's a really powerful rule and and there was a fair bit of pushback or oh, how do you manage that as a coach? You oh, know, you're making my life more difficult. And it's kind of all of the criticisms I heard of it were quite self-centered around the coach, because I don't think there is an argument against it from a playing perspective. Like I can't, I can't understand any sort of justification or think of any sort of justification where you're going, it's a good thing for that kid to sit on the bench. Like that, that That's just not an argument anybody made. So but it's who we're selling that to and who we're we're having to force that conversation along with or educate or and I mean there's a spectrum there, right? Like some people, it's a really easy sell. They are they're pushing this themselves and they're on board. Other people are going to be staunchly against it. And then it's it's just trying to, I guess, shift the you know, the the majority into being on board with it. But actually, do, do we think adults are predominantly a lot of the issue or is it just our we are conditioned to think like that so it becomes more challenging
3: um i think one of the one of the things also there is constantly having a critical mindset and having that critical questioning mindset i mean we started out on our journey with job to deliver a fun engaging and appropriate experience to each child every time Um, we, we shorten that slightly to each child every time and so as a, as a coach or as an adult you know whether that be cricket whether it be anything you know in a classroom you know am I delivering an experience or providing an experience or that he's taking into account each child every single time now when I'm, that, that like I said it's shorter now because it could for me I'm looking for and we, we loop back to that that moment with children where they're tongue out, tiger eyes. You know, that totally absorbed, totally engaged in the task. It could be playing Lego, it could be doing jigsaw, it could be on the PlayStation, it could be eating a pudding, but it's tongue out, tiger eyes where they are absorbed in that moment. Um, And I think it's easier to do when we as coaches are considering that each-child-every-time approach. So I suppose for anybody that's listening in that wants to, Check and challenge with themselves, you know, harsh criticism of oneself, harsh critique, harsh review, reflection of what we're doing, asking people, talking to people, just being open to the fact that I might be wrong, because I don't think sometimes as adults we are open to the fact that on occasions we might be wrong.
1: Do think we've got a long way to go in terms of as you guys, well, all three of you have talked about embedding children in this process and the the example that springs to mind? And I think it's Salisbury Town Football Club, the dominion Minion Juniors. And if I've got them wrong, I apologise if they're listening, but they're they're definitely from Salisbury. I just don't know which which team it is. But from from what I can understand and what I've heard, that you know their committees, for want of a better word, are, are the kids. Like the kids are sitting down and discussing this stuff and feeding back to the coaches and the, the senior club committee and this type of stuff around the environment. They they are absolutely embedded in the process because it is their process. And, and they spring to... I, I haven't heard or seen of that. Maybe it's just not been promoted in too many other places, but I'd, I'd be really interested in what your guys' thoughts are on how do we embed the kids um, more in, in their own environment in their own
3: culture it's a bit like um i think our approach when we talk about parents or family members is that we involve and we include and so coming back to if if as adults we are open to being wrong if we let's say the organizing adults if we understand their roles and responsibility if we have solid morals and values and ethics then we will involve and include everybody so uh, I've seen pointers on Twitter to the club you're talking about, Salisbury Rovers, somebody, um, and it would seem that they have a very strong moral, ethical approach that involves and includes everybody. Um, one of the terms, and I, I could have probably talked about this today, is sort of parental education. And, you know, if ever there was something that was going to put me off an organisation or a session, it would be you, the organisation, educating me, you know, just involve and include me. Just come and talk to me. It's all I want you to do. Um, so, again, I think adults or organising adults that have a very strong moral compass that involve and include everybody, the children, parents, the other coaches, I suspect they're going to they're go further together than they would on their own
0: so in terms of the he made some good points there and in but in terms of the challenge of to sell change being difficult he i agree that you know you need to get the parents on board you need them to be a part of the journey of the child you know if they're investing into golf hockey rugby then they should be you know learning about it with their child or helping them improve physically with the skill set, which is provided to be in that sport. Um, So that in itself is a challenge because some parents don't realise the importance of sport, even though it's fun, right? Um, It's hard to get, parents on board with the new way of coaching or the change, you know, those, the, those long lines have gone. You know, stand behind this cone and I'll pass the ball to you whilst you run onto it. That doesn't include anyone, you know, they're there for an hour, it's very robust, it's very slow. You know, for an adult or a parent, they see that as coaching. Where I just see that as the parent being uh, the child being bored, losing focus, not interested, you know, not engaged, and especially in the time we live in, where tech is just dominating the child's attention span, and even like in the the adults nowadays who are in their twenties, they they have to be taught differently because their attention span is lower. So if (laughs) it's five-year-olds. Who, you know, if you think in coaching is when they line up and line up in lines and, you know, have one go each, then, you know, you're behind. And the only way to change that way of thinking from the parent side is by showing them that the new, new, um, engaging, incorporating of all uh, players in one kind of simultaneously drill. Can't really say that word. I'm dyslexic. <laughs> in one drill will allow the growth of a child so far fu- so much quicker than they stand behind the cone and kick the ball one by one um and if that is incorporating from the session which you run into school life and home life then you know that's that's how you do it that's the win
1: um i think you touched on that perfectly I and mean, in just that challenge. And I I get, you know, it comes back to kind of Neil and Peter's point around coach education. And I don't think coach education should ever sit solely with a governing body. They they obviously have a huge role to play, but actually the, the over, I, I think genuinely impossible challenge. We want to professionalize coaching because it's incredibly difficult as we've talked about, but we're in a position where actually 90 plus percent of the people that coach are parents are helpers, are people that it is a volunteer role, it is a secondary thing. They're not, you know, they're not investing either the time, money or, or energy into to upskilling themselves in the way that maybe the those of us that are professional and that it is a career can do. And I think that just becomes this really, really difficult position to to ever get beyond that how you know, we've all been doing this for probably 20 plus years and we still haven't got it anywhere near right. So how do, how does anybody expect a mum and dad on a touchline on a, on a Saturday morning to suddenly get invited in because there's 40 kids and one coach to take that step in and learn all the things you need to learn. Not even as we just touched on that, the complexities of dealing with just multiple people without then going into the technical tactical elements of the game, like it, if you looked at that on a bit of paper and said, We we want you to learn all of this to be good at this thing that you're doing, basically because you kind of just got volunteered into doing it rather than still on the touchline watching. Like, no one's ever applying for that job, are they? Like, let's let's be really honest. They are running a country mile. So, and and we definitely don't have time to so I think find a solution to that. But I I try and come back to that when I get impatient with it. With the process and with how slowly things change, I think it's just recognizing it probably is an impossible position, unfortunately, just because of the nature of of coaching. And I know a lot of people would push to say, you know, you, if you are willing to take that step, then you have to be willing to commit to it. And I just, I'm just not sure that's the reality of, you know, Saturday, Sunday morning, evening coaching for for community grassroots clubs. So um, yeah, Peter finishes finishes off as I'm conscious.
2: Yeah. To- Thanks, so Because I was just, I'm mindful you sort of go on to Neil and what and what he's um, brought to today's session, but also I just come back to the the thing I talked about right at the start of my bit was the CPCAB model, which is the model for counselling, and the three things that Carl Rogers gives as the principles of what he brings with his theory are empathy by understanding and putting yourself in other people's shoes, congruence being yourself being fully engaged in what you're you know you're experiencing as the counsellor in that counselling client relationship environment but also that of unconditional positive regard and i thought it quite a useful sort of thing perhaps to drop in here is to finish with is that what we also got to remember is one with older institutions especially a lot of local sports clubs they're quite old so even i don't know how old that football club in salisbury you were talking about is but if it's quite a new setup it might be a lot easier to get things shifted more quickly to where they are now and move forward because of how quickly things can be set up more easy rather than in the past how things were and therefore not only are you setting things up but you're actually changing it and that's a very different thing you're not just setting something up new but you're changing and changing older people that have been there and done things for a certain way possibly don't even want to change Um, but also just bearing in mind that we're all actually all part of this and I know we talk about things we want to change in our sport we want to see differently but the people that are there and have been running it for 20 years have actually been the people that have set it up and have given us this wonderful or whatever it is that we do now and if it weren't for them then we wouldn't have it so we've also got to bear in mind that yes whilst there's going to be change for me there's also an element of it's also about trying to bring as many many of those and as much of it with us as possible because that's the basis of what we have so we can't go around too much sort of sort of criticizing and trying to break it completely because that is the essence of, of what we've come from and where we are so that unconditional positive regard is perhaps an interesting thing to to put out there we're in this environment because it's not right and wrong you're bad we're right
1: we're good it's actually we're all trying to make this better for everybody i think you summarise that perfectly unconditional positive regard i love that that's that's definitely my my one to go away and look into uh, into more so um thank you for that much appreciated uh yeah. neil finish us off what are you going to chat to us about
3: might have just changed <laughs> um I've got this is this is a question that I may pose for another discussion um, which is where should a grassroots coach start so if we do have that parents adults that comes into a club environment where would they start what are the basic requirements that they need that wasn't what I was going to talk about that that's a list that I've just started to make that I think could be for another point um I um over the course of the last 12 months um, have spent a lot of time delivering in primary schools as we do. We've put ourselves in front of over 12,000 children over the last 12 months, and it's been since uh, lockdown opened up. And um, we've been challenged on a number of occasions that we've delivered these meaningful, what we would call meaningful, positive first experience of golf. And then what next? What should follow? Because I Don't think that the first experience that a child should have from a school environment to the club environment, golf club environment, I'm not sure necessarily whether that step should be a coaching session. So in golf, it tends to be have an experience, let's say in a school, then go to the golf club and have a coaching experience because we have a paid workforce, we have a professional workforce who rely livelihood wise on coaching so therefore any child who beginner comes through the door it needs to go into a coaching session i have been that coach um but for me uh, i believe nowadays that with beginners and with people that are getting new into the game children and i'm going to talk specifically about families coaching should be further down the line and should be a choice not an an, an expectation so um we have our golf club that children and families can join. And what I want to be able to do, and this is still in its formative stages, is to point children and families to what we will call family-friendly golf clubs. So we've been doing a bit of research on family-friendly golf, of which there doesn't seem to be a massive amount of it around. Um, And if there is, if anybody's listening and they know of family-friendly golf clubs, then please get into it because I want to know what they're doing. But uh, part of the research drew me to a document, and again, I sent the link, so I'm sure people will be able to find it in the show notes, Women and Girls and Family Participation in Golf, an overview of existing research commissioned by the RNA in 2018, written by um, John Fry and Philip Hall from the University of Mysco in Lancashire. Now, I had the good fortune to speak to John Fry, he was very good with his time last week. A quite a hefty document that splits itself down into four parts, It talks about the environment, talks about attracting and recruiting families, talks about maintaining participation and avoiding dropouts, and it talks about ensuring Gulf's traditions in harmony with change. Um, I did a little bit of work on it this morning, and through the documents, they have their commentary. They cite a number of case studies, 17 case studies, which I'll come back to in a moment. And there are also a number of action points, 61 action points in this document, which I've now taken. And I'm gonna work through, because some of them are the same, some of them are different. But it would strike me that there are a number of barriers. There are a number of barriers to families participating in golf. Now, I'm not sure this is necessarily the case with hockey or with rugby, because of the fact that, you know, we play in, if you like, biological, chronological ages, but golf as a sport is set up unbelievably well. For families to play if we discount the sort of historical and traditional nature of the game. Um, so I'm interested to promote that, but I'll, I also just wanted to throw up some of these barriers and then maybe if anybody's got any thoughts of them, I've got a list, won't take me long, the history, the tradition, access, cost, the family dynamic, the initiatives and of which there are many from national governing bodies, and for which that they seem to be initiatives stay around for a very short period of time, a year, two years, they're very much linked to funding cycles. I'm questioning whether they're given enough time to gain any actual traction. Um, The COVID boom of golf, clubs and golfers, the perceptions, the beliefs, the rules and the etiquette, format. Um, And then, coaches and coaching so just about golf but it talks about women and girls within golf you know women and girls are a very very small minority so um, governing bodies and funders are always looking to try and recruit more women and girls but I think for me they're going about it the wrong way I think if we recruit the family units to play golf we've got a much better opportunity of a keeping that family unit and b the individuals within that family then choosing to play golf Um, and for us if they come and have that Meaningful positive first experience at a golf course, the sell is then to come and do it again and to come and do it again and to come and do it again and enjoy doing it. And let's get that enjoyment of love for the experience first before we start ramming coaching down their throat or membership down their throat or more formal play down their throat. Um so yeah, that that was me. I wanted to highlight this document. It's something with which I've given it some interesting thoughts. And I suppose a, a research document is always going to have a lot of action points, but I did think 61 was a bit hefty. Um, and I also did wonder that the initiatives that they point out, the case studies, none of, them stended, none of them stuck. At least I don't think they did. There's one in particular, which is called Golf Express, which was an initiative about four or five years ago, around nine holes of golf, and that stayed for about two years. And then it went, funding changed, um, strategy changes. Um, so there's a lot in that, but I'm interested to hear people's thoughts on barriers to participation within family golf.
1: Thanks, Neil. Fascinating. And my, my mind drifted straight away to just, I guess, some of, I haven't played in a little while, actually, but just some of my experiences with my dad playing golf and, and we were quite lucky. Um, the Bristol and Clifton Golf Club had just two or three really good practice areas. I like golf and nine holes is, is an hour and a half well spent and, and it's fun. 18 holes is a long time for me. I just, it's kind of just, you know, it's a whole day wandering around a field basically. And I it's, so my mind jumped to the format piece and actually maybe it links a little bit to that cell kind of piece we talked about a few minutes ago, but what, what is, what are the, the, the kind of the different formats look like for golf? Cause I'd have seen a lot of foot golf kind of jump, jump up alongside at golf clubs and, it, and it's a kind of a dual dual purpose but it was really kind of yeah I absolutely love just going in and just practicing chip shots onto the green or just practicing putting or just practicing you know some of the other stuff it, it wasn't about going out and just trying to put the ball in in the hole it wasn't about you know really um trying to work out what my score was and how, you know, I was about to say how many under par, like I've ever been under par. Like it, it was, you know, do you know, like how many over par I am. It was just about how can I make this fun and engaging as a challenge? How can I make this a skill challenge? How can I try and just get a little bit better at some of these shots I'm trying to play? And yeah, I really wondered do, which of those, elements they discuss do you think is the biggest one because just from my experience as I say format would jump out as as maybe the the failing golf clubs are very limited by the size of the course they have and and what they can do with that and it's all very much about pin 1 to 18 off you go and we might have a putting practice green so what yeah what do you think on the format and then what what do you think are maybe the the other or the biggest challenges within it?
3: i be interested to get Pete and Tom's point, but just on format, I think we've we've got stuck between practice and competition. And I think the, the piece in the middle that golf's missed is play. And, I, and you know, for me, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a broken record as far as play is concerned, because pr- play is not this sort of frivolous thing that we just do when we're children. It's, it's really serious. And it's the heartbeat of all the experiences that we have. And I think golf... It needs, to, it needs to understand and what you've just described perfectly there is you've described what I would call off-course play. Just pissing around, hitting it. hitting. A friend of mine just called it hitting shit with sticks, which, you know, whether it be on the chipping green, on the driving range, that's what it is. But play is really serious because it, you can have that tongue out, tiger, rose, tiger eyes moment. And again, golfs miss that. For example, for us with families... We, we, I always tell the story, and I'll, I'll be brief on this. Mom, dad, daughter, son, let's talk about that nuclear family. Step onto the first tee. They've got a ball each. They've got a bag of clubs each because they've hired them. Dad's played before, mom hasn't. The children haven't really. They've all played their ball. They've got halfway down the first hole. It's taken them half an hour. And then mom looks at dad and says, I don't ever, ever, ever want you to bring me to do this ever again. And they go around nine holes and no one has a good time, put the club back in the car, and that's that's the end of it. That I've seen that done, and, you know, it could be a normal experience. The session, would, the, the experience that we might have set up would be have a couple of clubs, um, have one ball between the family, and take it in turns playing it. Play briskly, play safely, get on with it. You know, if the children play up, if you want to finish after five holes, just walk in, stop when you're enjoying it. Stop when you've just had enough. Five holes might be this week and then next week it might be six and then next week it might be seven and then a couple of weeks later you're nine holes, you're in an hour and a half, happy days. And it's just having that comparison because play is the middle bit to it and it's not you've got to score, you've got to do it properly, you've got to work towards your handicap, you've got to grip it correctly. And even if you do that off the course, play can still be the heartbeat to it just a simple way of adapting and changing the format just by taking a few balls out of the equation. Gone, Peter, jump in. It's interesting what Neil was
2: saying about sort of selling the experience, because I think if you go back, even back to what Tom talked about right at the beginning with the sort of self-awareness and being present in the moment, that's sort of what we're all sort of talking about, isn't it really? It's not, it, it, we're using our sports as vehicles, but that's sort of what we're selling. And it sounds like, and I don't think it's just golf, I'm sure it's happening in hockey, uh, done about rugby but perhaps Tom can, can talk about that in a sec but how we've probably gone we go too far the other way between we, we've got back to hockey and hockey at the moment which has been great for bringing more people back to the sport and a lot of it what I've done at Lewis has been about getting parents of kids that are already playing so we've got that family element and when you're playing a team sport the other benefit is that there are other people already involved and you can create additional connections Um, but I wonder once we get to a point and I thought sort of was almost seeing it back to hockey's almost filled clubs back up to where they were perhaps pandemic might have a bit of an impact on that but i wonder where the next evolution of hockey is going or even sports as a whole and whether we might start to see say like you talked about just hitting balls in a field walking around a field Phil, actually whether that might be something where golf goes because if golf clubs can't or won't or impossible to actually create that middle ground is there a, a, a spring off of that and i wonder even where we might see it with other sports a bit like you get a lot of people play football, but most of them are not actually members of clubs necessarily. They might go with their friends at work or their mates after work, and just they turn up and play. And I wonder whether there's an element within the sports aren't quite so. Um, what we need a bit more in sort of uh, uh, equipment, etc. Whether we're missing a bit of a trick here outside of that, and whether that might start to spring up a bit more.
1: I I definitely agree. I I think. Golf's a really funny one, isn't it? Because if the course is empty, I, I never play properly. You know what I mean? So so um, when I was fortunate enough to go to a talk by Dave Allred, who was working with, or can't remember who he was working with, Luke Donald at the time. And he was saying, it was a psychological exercise for Luke, and he called it fig golf. Fuck, I'm good. So it was basically, you never play a bad shot. So if you hit a bad shot, you just go, you just stay where you are, you drop the next ball and you just play until, and you keep doing that and you keep doing that until you hit the shot you're happy with. And I absolutely love this because it it just made that feeling. I mean, I went through plenty of balls from a lot of different places, but it made that feeling of, I can just disregard all the others. And all, you, all he would do for his fig score is you just count the good shots. So suddenly your score has gone from, I don't know, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 for a hole down to like four or five. And you're going, oh, this is, this is quite fun. And it's completely imagined, but I could never stand there and do that when I've got three people behind me on the tee waiting to play the traditional version. And it's, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? That you've got all this space and all this opportunity and, and tradition dictates you have to do the traditional game just because that's what other people are doing and that that I think is that stumbling block of as you say you could be as imaginative as you wanted with the space with the time with the clubs with the opportunity it, it's literally endless to do anything other than take it in turns and just go through the motions but the nature of the sport and the historic nature of it tends to then dictate what everyone can and can't do which is I, I'm not sure how you overcome that and make it more approachable unless you get into a position where you've just got you know a, a fun nine hole and a serious nine hole do you know what I mean I'm, I'm not I don't know I, I just I'm not sure what that solution would be but that seems to be the there is endless opportunity but does does tradition stifle that creativity
3: I think it's an interesting point you just make there actually Phil is that time time drives the experience and I wonder whether with a lot of the experiences that we offer rugby hockey whatever it might be time is is a, is a it's not a barrier but it's a constraint isn't it so if we golf you just you just probably answered one of my questions as far as barriers because one of the first rules that we rules rules that we tell families you've got to play briskly and when they say what does briskly mean i mean you've just got to get on with it why just get on got to get on with it? Well, because you've got to get round. There is a there is a time. So it's not a case of using it as a, as a barrier or as a constraint. So you've got to get on with it. So just take enough balls that if you lose it, don't even bother looking for it. Uh, and I wonder actually whether you helped me answer my own question is that we, we we explain the barriers before we've even started. So everyone's aware of what those barriers might be, you know, whether it be entry to rugby. Just coming back to rugby for a second, I did some work. I think it was the same time I started to do some spending time with pete was that um women's rugby down in worthing and they had a a touch rugby session and got some funding to do it and there was this overwhelming thing that right now you've done touch rugby now come and do full contact and none of the none of the women there wanted to do full contact because they enjoyed the touch rugby and so they, they said well at the end of this project we want them to join the the full contact and i said well you're not going to carry on with the touch rugby oh no no that's not it's not necessary i'm sure that might have changed now and i just asked the question because i don't know anything about it but it's a bit like with my wife she does softball cricket and they've done the opposite where they haven't actually said to any of the women come and do the hardball cricket which is fine because they love the softball cricket but it's against that assumption that well now you've done this you must want to do that now you've done touch rugby you must want to do full content rugby ball and i said to them this is i said i i like the look of this this touch rugby looks all right i do not like the look of that that is not what i would want to do but then they looked at me as if i was talking a different language again just through different eyes
1: i love it peter jump in
3: i just reminded
2: me about what we did the first time we did back to hockey at lewis and actually what we created so with what neil's talked about going from touch to full contact rugby how actually what it I the, the, Probably the best thing I've ever created, arguably in my life, but certainly in sport, was this thing called Monday Night Hockey, where you just turn up and play. Um, there are some controlled rules. I, we don't have hitting. There's no goalkeeper. So the safety element and the, the risk and the danger is significantly reduced. But it's a natural step between coming back to the sport and actually then going and training and possibly even playing a club game. And the number of people that... I mean, you can't cater for everyone. I think that's one of the things we also have to accept. We can't get everybody's always going to have the perfect experience and actually we can offer everything to everyone because that's not realistic and it's not sport and arguably it's not even business, which is an element of what we do. But actually having those, listening to what the players want and actually giving them an opportunity that keeps enough of them involved is is a really interesting point. And it's just something that I suppose, I, I suppose I'm just highlighting that we actually did inadvertently at Lewis and it's become... They, it runs every night of the year, every Monday night of the year, and the only thing that's ever stopped it has been the snow, has been Christmas Day, and because it's Lewis Bonfire Night. So um, it is, it, yeah, uh, it's a bit of a self promotion, but it's it's amazing how much you
1: how much I learned from listening to the from the players. Do you think hockey has got an opportunity to maybe go to like a three on three type version? Because I think basketball have been really quite smart there, in in terms of it, it's a slightly reduced format of the game, but you still get all the excitement and you probably get that ramped up because, you know, more touches, more opportunity. It, it, it shifts to being a little bit more about flair and dunks and those types of things. And I, I kind of almost feel like those invasion games, sevens is probably slightly different for rugby just because they play it on a main pitch and you need to be in really good shape. But actually, what, what does that look like for other sports in terms of harnessing that, short, sharp game, lots of opportunities to touch the ball, um, you know, just just actually kind of mixing up the numbers and the size of the pitch and, and those other opportunities. Is that something hockey have looked at or would play with? What, where where would you kind of sit on, I guess, the kind of like scaling scaling discussion? It's a good question.
2: Um, have England hockey or the FIH looked at it? I, I honestly don't know. Um, I, I'd i never thought about it, actually, in terms of, in some ways, in terms of who you You've mentioned it. I, mean, we, I use a sort of a turnover exercise in some of my sessions where if I've only got one goalkeeper, you'll have the defending team's role is to get the ball out of the D. And if they do, then they become the attacking team and roles reverse. So I sort of play that in a way. The only thing is, the, the, the thing about the scoring points in hockey, as well as the ultimate goal of hockey, whether you're playing it, you're messing around with it, or you're professional with it, is that you, you have a goalkeeper and a ball going into a goal. I know I've just said that doesn't happen on a Monday night at Lewis, but I don't know how the game would work quite so directly if you have someone you're trying to get put the ball past to score a goal from. Whereas, of course, in basketball, the only people in your way are the other defenders and it's the ball into the net, uh, sort of the hoop rather than perhaps the goal net. So I, I don't know. Is, and the other thing is, of course, with basketball, even in this country, they're all over the place. They've got basketball hoops in most schools most parks etc so it's a much more accessible sport and i don't know how you would create that it, I'm not saying it wouldn't work but i i i don't know my initial thought would be would be difficult to create it i think but never seen it.
0: so yeah i've just been listening to like kind of the. Well, obviously been listening to what we were speaking about and there seems to be like a bit of a trend and pattern between what we we're saying like the problems we're facing at the moment is obviously inclusion of family sons and daughters or um whatnot, and you know, how to make that appealing to that audience, that family package audience, as you know, the family culture is what kind of grows the club, grows the business, grows the social element, you know, and a lot of cultures. Oh, sorry, a lot of teams use that family, be a part of the family. I think every business you know uses that way of um, operating. So the question is like, yeah, touch rugby, like you said, touch rugby is an area which we I'm personally going to be focusing on if that person doesn't want to play contact because you can't make someone play contact. And then within, within football and rugby, you know, you get a bit of a dropout, or any sport, I think. I think you get a dropout because football's king, unfortunately, <laughs> as, much, as much as I hate to say it, football's king. And we kind of, we either, the sport either appeals to the child or the child goes to football straight away because it's got that global recognition. So dealing with the children which don't get the, not dealing, but having the, the rest of the children who don't get that, um, what's the word for, coaching, or you know that management we were speaking about, you know group management and making sure everyone's being coached or like skilled in the in the in the area they're focused on. Football, football have like groups of forty kids in one in one session with like one or two coaches, and the, the children which are not particularly flourishing with that natural talent don't get a look-see so it's almost catering for that for that uh for the for the for that dropout in terms of to another sport right so however every sport goal has limitations so like for example golf can be very difficult to learn to do your swing properly without smashing the ball into your shin or whatever or turn to into the side or you know, you can be very unconfident about going into rugby contacts because it's scary or, you know, the hockey ball is very overwhelming and can cause, you know, you to be frightened of the balls as basically a ball of concrete. So what I'm trying to say is, is like, where's that middle line? You know, where's that uh, our, the advertisement within our game, which will appeal to us, appeal to the new audience, to come in, feel inclusive, feel like... There, you know that it isn't a threat almost so and I think basketball has kind of got it correct in the terms of like you said has got it correct but like what you know from a brainstorming point of view like what is the go-to you know do you look at reducing you know numbers in sport or the game or focusing on time like golf like he's mentioned type golf's a very timely game reducing the time you have with golf like and then making that a marketable and approachable event experience for a family um i think that's kind of what what needs to be looked at in terms of inclusion um i have no idea you know rugby's tried sevens tens and i think they're even trying twelves at the moment which you know, it just needs to be a. It needs to be a completely different concept, and the only way to do that, personally, I feel, is creating a community-based event which is free and has, you know, small businesses a part of it as well as like a local, uh, some sort of like local-themed event which is catered to the history of the town or whatever to inspire and get that uh, ignition, um, intuition, not intuition, the, the, well, just to go. Cause at the end of the day, parents are just looking for events to go to, to take their child to. So that's what we need. That's kind of like the aim of, the, that's where we need to be aiming. If we want that family um, package. I don't think it's a bad idea. <laughs> Peter, go on, jump in.
1: I'm conscious of our guys' time, so we'll probably make this, maybe last last point. I was just sort of perhaps
2: trying to bring it bring it together. If I was going back, I was looking at my notes, and so Tom started on the idea of self-awareness, and then I brought in sort of the, the CPCAB model, which is as much about listening and the relationships. And then Neil finished on the idea of, of sort of families and, and getting more people, in particular, I think, women and, and girls, is that right, Neil, actually playing the game um, beyond beyond the men, and, and or included, added to the men. Um, but the, the, the thing that I was sort of, going back to my Monday Night Hockey thing that, that was so amazing that we sort of did, or we were able to produce with it, was that we were able to create a community of a, of a different type of the game by listening and being aware of what the players wanted and I think what probably Tom is trying to get at, and Tom would tell me if I'm wrong here, but is that actually if we just create the community, give the opportunity of people to actually come along and listen to them enough, we will create those new ways of playing by listening to them. And actually what we need to do probably more than anything else, and this is probably one of the challenges that national governing bodies have when they've got that winning element of and that's what people see on the TV and possibly attract people to a sport in the first place to what they're actually trying to sell to the majority is having the opportunities to create the the participation and the involvement whilst also balancing having and then putting enough resources into it to understand that if you get more people playing you'll have more of the winning at the top level and I think that that's the challenge not just for us but actually the national governing bodies and the leaders of
1: our sports in general you've summarized that perfectly. So I'm not even going to try and improve on that. Um, what I know at the end, just before we kind of uh, wrap up and finish off, have you guys got uh, suggestions? Like what books are you reading? What content are you engaging with? What what might you want to kind of give a recommendation to if, if you've got your own stuff? This is a, a great opportunity to kind of give yourself a shout out and where people can find you as well. So um, Neil, we'll come to you because you can definitely plug Joel straight away um and it'll give the other guys some thinking time so uh, let us let us know where we can find you and what you're doing
3: um well neil at jolf.golf um and then through all the normal channels of social media that i'm still I, I to be honest with you social media i'm still not quite sure where to which eggs to throw my basket in if at all um and as far as reading and listening is concerned um, Stephen Bartlett has caught my attention recently with his um, Diary of a CEO podcast. Um, not just Stephen Bartlett, I think it's a really interesting character, but some of the um, some of the um, people that he's had on and he's talked to around sort of business and growth and branding and trying to create something it's been fascinating been really fascinating so i'd love to reach out to any coaches to talk further Um, i've got a podcast of my own that i've the Jolf man which i've um, did was relentless last year and I'm, i'm yet to start there's quite a number of projects that i now need to start so today's talk has definitely
1: enthused me to start Fantastic!
0: Great recommendations.
1: Thank you very much, uh, Tom. Come to you.
0: What I would say would probably be the best for someone who's new to coaching or wants to challenge themselves is to get involved in something which is completely out of your norm, um, and you know, working with different type of people, um, as well as thinking. So, like for example, you know, helping um people in hardship or with you know struggles to make to end to ends meet because you know by giving you end up receiving and stuff like that is just so important you know um other areas to focus on um it's just primary schools the primary schools are don't have enough sport to be able to help the early years and um, Five to five to elevens, and that's something we focus on at Rhino Sports Club. We focus on the um, ages two to eleven because that's the that's the fundamental. fundamental, oh my god! Fundamentally, I only start again. My dyslexia is kicking off. <laughs> Fundamentally, the two-year-olds is where it all starts, and if you get those two-year-olds in practice with movement ability to listen, concentrate, follow instructions and enjoy it, enjoying, then they're going to be with you for the foreseeable future. And that is just a pathway into professional sport, if I've ever heard one or seen one. Um, So, you know, we offer free tasters. If you just got, if you come back to me at rhinosports.com, rhinosportsclub.com and across all social media pathways, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, we're happy to help, and uh, we've got lots going on. What's man? Thank you. Peter, go on.
2: So, In terms of where to go, I've actually started to use the local library again recently because it's much closer to my new place um, than my last one, and, and that is an amazing resource that's just there on your doorstep uh, to use um, anything. And it doesn't have to be sport, but whatever you're into – Uh, in terms of a book I would highly recommend it's been a while since I read it but Quiet by Susan Kane is absolutely awesome with regards to just the different understanding and way of thinking of introversion against extroversion and how much of what we do is is actually not stimulated from outside but within Um, and I'd also just highlight that CPCAB model as well and and the idea of just congruence go and read it because it is a fascinating idea but also just being true to yourself you know we've all talked about experiences well that's what we're after and the more that you can go on your own journey the better there's no right or wrong with this just go with what you want based on what you're trying to achieve and and, and what you and how you want to do it um and in terms of contacting me so happyhockey355 is what i'm on on twitter and instagram and my email is happyhockey355 at gmail.com so hoping to get a website launched this year and into at least one primary school, uh, ideally in Burgess Hill. But
1: um, yeah, that's me.
2: Thank you very much, Phil.
1: No, absolute pleasure. Thank you guys. I yeah, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. I think we've we've kind of touched on and, and tried to answer some some pretty big questions, which is uh which is always a, a positive one and, and definitely loads for i hope everyone that's listened and us and to, to go away and, and continue to think on so um thank you very much for your time i'm going to round up the roundup so we hope you enjoyed the episode thanks again to the guys for coming on and contributing to an excellent discussion links to all the content discussed are available in the blurb on rugby coach weekly as always i'd like to thank you for listening wish you all the best and go well